I don't know why they didn't tell you about the masquerade. Cassie's roommate, Sarah, looked absolutely stunning in her period-perfect dark Victorian gown replete with silk gloves and a gorgeous mask affixed to a stick, which she dangled loosely at her side as she stared crossly back at Cassie through her reflection in the room's lone mirror. Just skip it if you prefer. You skipped everything else today. Why start engaging now? The truth of the words stung. But Cassie's instinct in the moment was to defend herself. All she really wanted was for Sarah to listen. But deep down, she knew this was her own fault. Still, surely she could expect her roommate to stick with her. Mistress Maud is already on my case, as is Captain Odine. That one will personally drag me to the dance or whatever. I don't have a dress. I don't have a mask. I don't even have time to make them. Cassie was ranting at the ceiling from her perch on the top bunk, legs swinging freely over the side. Well, you'll not get any closer to a solution by lying around on your bed. Sarah's retort was sharp, followed by a growl as she flung an eye pencil at the mirror. <sighs> I don't need all your stress, too. I'll never finish this makeup, and then both of our nights will be ruined. Sarah stomped away from the mirror and over to the bunk, her eyes brimming with emotion. You know, when I first learned that I would be rooming with a, a Judy, yes, that's right, I said it. I thought that I could handle it, make friends, help you through the tough first semester, but you have to want to be helped, Cassie, and you don't even want to be here. A sudden crack sounded in the room. Sarah, in her anger, had swept the fragile mask against the bedpost in a gesture, resulting in half of the mask remaining affixed to the stick as the other drifted to the floor. After a moment of tension-filled silence, Sarah fled the room, bursting into tears and slamming the door in the process, leaving Cassie alone and bewildered on the top of her bunk. As the minutes dragged by, Cassie slipped down from the bed. Sarah's makeup box was strewn all over the room, along with a mix of costume pieces, silks, scarves, and the like. She spent a few moments straightening up the room, having nothing else to do. The broken mask lay in two pieces on the floor next to the bed. I guess this dance was really important to her. Cassie stooped to retrieve the mask and looked at it for a moment. Cheap commercial junk. She muttered as she turned the mask over in an unconscious assessment. Well, it wasn't cheap. And yes, I've been looking forward to the stance since my brother told me about it his first year here. Cassie hadn't heard the door latch and turned in embarrassment to face Sarah, gently setting the broken mask on Sarah's bed. Look. No, Hugo. This is my fault. Both of the girls sighed. <laughs> and Sarah closed the door fully before walking over to her bed and sitting down heavily. How much time do we have before the dance? It doesn't matter. It's ruined now. I have to wear a mask for a masquerade and I don't have time to make one. I was going to use my own and then I forgot it at home. It didn't arrive in this morning's mail so I had to borrow one from the other girls. I'm supposed to be an artist and... You made that dress? Cassie asked in growing admiration. In response, Sarah looked down at the intricate garment. Took me all summer. She smiled sheepishly. I just wanted this week to be perfect. I guess I built it all up in my mind. 
Cassie took a step closer and knelt down in front of Sarah, lifting her chin gently until their eyes met. I'm sorry, Sarah. I had my own expectations, too. And you're right. I should be enjoying this. But listen, I can help you. Sarah sighed and opened her eyes, staring at Cassie as a questioning look grew on her countenance. You may not have a physical mask, but you do have something just as good. Sarah frowned, her eyes burrowing down. And what is that? You have a Judy. And not just any Judy. You have a Judy who was scholarshiped here for her skills with a pencil and a brush. And if I'm not mistaken, that set of makeup you have over there is basically just brushes, pencils, and paints. Cassie stood, offering a hand to Sarah, who took it with a look of bewilderment, mingled with a touch of hope blooming in her eyes. And Sarah, with that dress and me as your makeup artist, you're going to be the most magnificent creature to grace these halls in the history of this frumpy institution. But what about you? Sarah countered as she stood and allowed herself to be led to the mirror. Tonight is all about you, Sarah. And I'll just toss a few of these scraps together and go as made to your princess. Sarah smiled at this and shook her head, tears of gratitude cresting in her eyes. Actually, I think I can use those tears. And saying this, Cassie began to work. The old bus driver swabbed at his forehead with the oily cloth he had been using to test the oil levels in the school's little white bus. His old bones had felt a subtle change to the pressure in the tidy garage, indicating that he was no longer alone. Without looking up, Bentley folded the rag and tucked it into a pocket in his coveralls. Now who would be wandering around a drafty old garage at this hour of the night? His voice was calm, more a statement than a question. A sighing response told him exactly who had dropped in to visit. Ah, Willem! Good to see you again, lad. Bentley turned around, placing his hands on his hips and leaning back to appraise the young man through the glasses that hung on the tip of his large nose. Janice, Janice disappeared, Bentley. Willem's voice was tense as he hung back in the shadows. Come here, son. Bentley waved the boy toward him with a worn hand. It's so dark in here, I can hardly see you. After a moment's hesitation, Willem stepped into the dome of light provided by one of the large overhead fixtures. I'm sorry. I should have stopped by earlier, Bentley. We miss you back home. Bentley chuckled at this. Having served as the Marshal's family motor pool director for more than three decades, he had been unceremoniously dumped on the street by Willem's father two summers ago. But he had managed to find work at the school where he had reunited his paternal friendship with young Willem. I highly doubt that I missed, but this isn't about you or I. Uh, Janice, you say? Are you sure? Willem pulled a digital phone out of his pocket, tapped in a code and offered the phone for Bentley's inspection. I... I know I shouldn't have, but I found her phone. Unlocked. In the back of the lid stage. She... There's no other explanation. She disappeared. I was singing with her only a few moments before. You... 
You don't believe me, do you? No, my boy. On the contrary, I do. Did she leave a message on this? Bentley offered the phone back to Willem, who took it and nodded while swiping to the voice recorder before pressing on the most recent recording. The voice that played back was unmistakably that of Janice Tremaine. I finally found it. I found the recording everyone's been talking about. It's this weird flute melody. Nothing special about it, really. If I understand correctly, I can make the transition by just singing it correctly. Frankly, it seems like the worst kind of bad science fiction plotting. Sing a melody to open a portal. But here goes nothing. Bentley stepped toward Willem and silenced the recording with the press of a large thumb to the screen. Whatever you do, boy, don't try to follow her there. I may be an old man, but I know danger when I hear it. But what? What should I do? The headmistress would never believe me. Master Bale is... but he's no help. My father would never believe me. For now, son, let me think. Just let, let me think. But promise me that you won't repeat what she did. Bentley watched as the young man nodded slowly a faraway look in his eyes as he pocketed the phone and turned slowly to retreat back into the night. As the door closed behind Willem, Bentley straightened and turned back toward the little white bus. You know this garage has a front door, Alistair. The lean security chief sauntered around the bus and into the light a smirk alighting on his face as his boots made only the softest sound on the concrete floor of the garage. They said you were like a cat. Mind telling me what this is about, old man? I've known the boy and his family for decades. Just senior year jitters is all, Alistair. Nothing more. Well, let's hope that's all it was, old man. Just know that I'll be watching you. All these disappearances... A strange old bus driver means students lay at night in the garage. Things like this tend to add up. Ah, mathematics. I never took you for the sort, Alistair. I must say your range of skills surprise me every day. Bentley smiled as he walked to the front of the bus, climbed the footstool, and closed the hood with a resonant thud. Alistair frowned at the older man and spat on the spotless floor in response before exiting the garage through the same door Willem had just gone. With a little help from Sarah, Cassie pulled together an assortment of silks and strips of cloth and along with some of the feathers from the broken mask, and with a little help from a flower arrangement in the hallway, she had fashioned a maid's outfit, replete with a basket of petals. Leading the way by several yards, Cassie began to lay a path of flower petals along the floor leading away from the archway that joined Wolfmeck House, the women's dormitory, to Atticus Lounge, which was lined with scholars, both men and women, who were eager to see the spectacle. The first-year men stood on the outer edge on either side of the makeshift promenade, eager to join their partners in the parade to the great room where the masquerade was to be held. Cassie had to admit that the whole thing was impressive, if not a bit sophomoric. 
The costumes of the upperclassmen were amazing. Their masks unique and intricate. She now wished she'd had a chance to prepare her own costume rather than walking in hunched over and hidden like this. But it was all part of her design, and so she continued to shuffle forward, laying a path of petals in her wake, wincing at the snickers that followed her, but eager to experience the reaction to her work. A chill running down her neck informed her that Sarah was about to step into the hall, and as they had rehearsed, Cassie stopped and knelt to the floor to ensure that all eyes would be primed with anticipation for Sarah's entrance. But Cassie was not ready for what happened next. Gasps of awe filled the room, but the gasps sounded strange and warped as if time itself were slowing. Then Sarah appeared in the doorway, and as she stepped into the room, everything seemed to freeze, though Sarah kept moving, one foot set lightly on the ground as the other lifted in agonizingly slow motion. The stunning layered dress undulated, as if she were floating through deep water. Cassie gazed around the room from her crouched position. Droplets of water shimmered in mid-air from a glass that was being lifted too quickly. Gaping tongues and wide eyes painted a menagerie of unnatural shapes and colors. The scene was amazing and grotesque at the same time, like a living Grundewald stretching all around her. Cassie could also see a shimmering, curving line like the edge of an expanding bubble or sphere speeding away from Sarah, its touch oily and nauseating as it pulsed past her, rippling and expanding like a visible sound wave. It was all over in a moment as the bubble burst and time snapped back into a raucous cheer, glasses being tossed into the air, students collapsing in heaps as though passing out from the sheer magnitude of the display before them. Cassie lifted her hands over her head, ducking to protect herself from what was turning from amazement into mania. She looked back towards Sarah, whose face was at first beaming, but now registering shock beneath the sensational painting Cassie had created. In the blink of an eye, the entire lounge was in chaos and pandemonium until a sudden clap of thunder stilled the room. Cassie, still cowering on the ground, could see a counter-sphere of force pushing the initial bubble back. The mania subsiding as quickly as it had arisen. Students caught midway through a leap stumbled as others blinked and looked around incredulously. And then a moment of hushed whispers was broken by the familiar voice of the headmistress. I think there is no question who wins the masquerade this year. Very well done, Miss Dawson. Very well done indeed. The calm voice of the headmistress seemed to release the lingering tension in the room as the scholars all dropped their masks for a moment, many having to return to their feet as shocked gasps turned to thunderous applause that followed Sarah as she breathed a sigh of relief and slowly made her way toward the great room with Cassie forgotten as she crouched at the edge of the promenade aisle. A rough hand grasping her arm as she crept to the edge of the lounge informed Cassie that she had not gone entirely without notice. Looking up, she saw the stern gaze of the headmistress bearing down on her, one hand grasping her arm, the other holding the ornamental scepter she had carried during the opening ceremony. You, Miss Cole, however, will come with me. The voice allowed no exception to this order, 
And thus Cassie found herself standing and meekly following the statuesque figure of Headmistress Floquet, away from the hall and out into the night. Passing silently across the lane, Cassie could tell that they were heading toward the headmistress's quarters. You won't be needing that rag of a mask any longer. Bloquet's voice drifted back to her, but the headmistress neither turned nor slowed, leading Cassie into her home, through the front door and then to the right, passing through a hall featuring portraits of prior school leaders and into an ornate sitting room that featured a brace of cushioned chairs, a fireplace, and a small desk. Motioning to one of two chairs that sat near the fireplace, the headmistress remained standing and waited for Cassie to take a seat before turning to gaze at the flames. Do you know what you did? Cassie slowly removed the mask from her face and blinked as she clasped the ragged mask in both hands on her lap. You obviously don't. Has anything like that happened to you before? The headmistress had not yet turned to look at Cassie. I don't... I don't understand, Headmistress. What do you mean happened before? Cassie knew full well what Floquet was referring to, but didn't entirely believe that what had happened had actually occurred or that she had anything to do with it. Turning at last, Floquet's dark eyes focused intently at Cassie's round face. Her thin lips pursed in thought. Tell me what you saw, and do not think to lie to me. Cassie had never been very good at lying, but being truly confused, she simply answered honestly. I don't really know. Sarah and I had rehearsed her entry. I was supposed to be the maid and lay down the flowers. At 10 paces, I was supposed to drop to my knee so that everyone would focus on her. I didn't really look up until I heard your voice, but it was loud. People were cheering. It was unlike anything I've ever experienced. Everything here is. Another tense moment passed as Floquet regarded her, and then the older woman relaxed her shoulders and took a seat next to Cassie, sitting straight and tilting her head at a slight angle. You look tired, Cassie. Adjusting to the school can be hard for anyone. A bit of advice as a former student myself, don't try to go too quickly. Cassie had no idea that Headmistress Floquet had once been a student. It made sense, but was a surprise all the same. I'm trying to make some friends, but you're right, it, it's very different. There's a lot to take in. Bloquet nodded, seeming to accept Cassie's answer, before slowly rising back to her feet. We chose you, Cassie, because you are exceptionally talented. Many of these students come here because their parents pay us to take them, but we are paying you. You have immense potential, Cassie. More than any student I have ever seen since being here and more than many in decades. Take your time, make friends, enjoy the experience. There's plenty of time for you to make your statement as you learn. Cassie nodded before replying. Would it be all right if I skipped the dance this evening? I should have known to be prepared, but all I could do was pull together these scraps. I don't even have a proper dress. Would it be all right if I skipped the dance this evening? Loquet lofted a brow to her request, but merely nodded, appearing to have already moved on in her mind. Standing quickly, Cassie offered a half-wave, and she didn't know what she was supposed to do in taking leave from the headmistress. And without further hesitation, she walked quickly back down the short hallway and out into the night. 
and Mrs. Floquet watched the young girl go, waiting for her to be well gone before pressing a button on the underside of the mantle that overhung the fireplace. A light bell sounded, informing her that the communication link had been established. The girl is far more powerful than we suspected. I want eyes on her constantly. And I think we need to orchestrate a distraction or two. The time is not yet right for her to discover the truth about who and what she is. The day dawned bright with a brilliant blue sky and a flock of geese alerting all below that they were heading south to bask in warmer climes. Cassie had risen earlier than usual, unable to remain in bed any longer as today marked the first day of society blocks, and aside from the makeup, Cassie hadn't so much as handled a brush since coming to school, outside of her dreams of course. The dreams she had happily discovered continued each night as usual. There had been no further incidents, no shouts or sounds, just the normal scenery she had come to enjoy as a respite from the waking world. She and Sarah were doing well once again. Sarah had collapsed on her bed around four in the morning after the masquerade, too exhausted to sleep, but full of details of her wonderful night. She had begged Cassie to let her tell everyone who had painted the mask, but Cassie was adamant about keeping it a secret. For her own part, Cassie had said nothing about her meeting with the headmistress, only that she had felt ill and simply returned to her room, which was mostly true. In any case, Sarah's mind was so full of her wonderful experience as the queen of the masquerade that she didn't probe Cassie any further. These and other thoughts swam through her head as the last minutes of her math class wound down and the bell finally announced the end of the academic period marking a small break before her first society block was to begin. Pressing eagerly through the throng of students, Cassie completely missed the sight of another student crossing at an angle and collided roughly with what felt like the side of a tree, sending her and her portfolio sprawling through the hall in a shower of papers and pencils. Whoa, whoa there! Oh, oh my apologies. I, please, let me help you with that. Cassie ignored the voice as she scrambled to collect several pages of notes and a few sketches that lay directly in the path of the ceaseless stream of feet. After gathering everything she could see, she crawled to the side of the hallway, pressing the mess of papers against her chest while looking for a place to set them down and sort them out. Uh, here, hand those to me and you can get them back in order. There's no good place to stop in this narrow hallway. The voice now had a face to go with it, and a very handsome face at that. So much so that Cassie blinked and nearly dropped her papers again, instantly regretting feeling and acting like a stupid girl in a romance novel. But a quick look around revealed the truth to his words, and so reluctantly she handed the pile of papers to his outstretched arms. Sorry, I, I didn't see you. Are, are you alright? Cassie asked belatedly, realizing that this must be the tree she had plowed into. Pretty sure I'll have a bruise from that one. <laughs> you should go out for the co-ed field team. We've got a spot for a bruiser like you, for sure. While the words were harsh, the way he delivered them made her blush and feel like he'd just given her the most amazing compliment. I guess. She replied, having no idea what else to say. Here, 
Why don't you let me fix those for you? Without waiting for a reply, the tall young man began to sort her bundle of papers until they lay in a neat stack in his hands, at which point he offered them to her with a kind of smile that was meant to melt the meanest Arctic glacier. The effect on Cassie was to leave her numbly accepting the stack of papers in silence, with her mouth slightly agape. Okay, then. The young man added with a grin, graciously filling the silence. And I'm serious about the offer. Coed teams begin practice this afternoon. We'll be on Field H at the Marsh. And don't worry, this is just the Inter-Society League. It's a good way to get to know scholars from across Again, the campus. Again, that brilliant smile, and then he paused as his gaze narrowed on a rough sketch that was sticking out of the messy pile. A sketch she had made during one of her dream episodes. This? I, I think I've seen this before. It was Cassie's turn this time to interrupt his confusion as she tucked the drawing back into the stack and shook the hand that was pointing haltingly toward the drawing. Abruptly, he turned and walked away, leaving Cassie standing flat-footed and hugging the mess of papers as the river of students trickled to a stream. He's out of your league duty, interrupted the voice of a passing student with a laugh. Better close that job before you catch something. Seriously? This Judy thing was really getting on her nerves. The comment, however, served to bring her back to the ground and what she was doing, which was heading toward her first society block, which didn't seem quite as interesting now as it had that morning. Society blocks were all held in their respective halls. In her case, she was required to walk to the eastern edge of the campus. Just before reaching the tennis courts, to a small squat wing of a larger complex emblazoned with the building's name, Diacus Gallery. The Visual Arts Society in recent years had been moved from their historic location in the larger adjoining Rezik Arts Center to make room for the newest Digital Arts Society. While the two buildings shared an entryway, they could not have been more different. Having benefited from a recent alumni gift, the Rezik Arts Center had been expanded from the original Diacus Gallery and retrofitted with a stunning array of technology in the form of digital walls, design labs, the best Wi-Fi on campus, and a number of additional improvements like the beautiful windows and signage, a stark contrast to the essentially forgotten wing that now housed the Visual Arts Society. As Cassie entered the main door and turned to the right, she found herself in a sparse show gallery with white walls and empty podiums and frames that would eventually feature the work the scholars produced during the coming year. A set of open stairs led down to the lower level, where her block was scheduled to meet on this first day. And so Cassie walked across the empty space and down the stairs, her steps echoing in the room until she found herself in a cozy mudroom that took up nearly the entire lower level. Here, a handful of her society members had already arrived and were finding seats on a variety of stools, chairs, and overstuffed ottomans that had been hastily pulled into a semicircle in front of a small podium. Mistress Cynthia Zeltrix was scheduled to address the society on this first day, but had not yet arrived. Oh, glad you found it. I was getting a little worried. Sarah was already sitting on a stool along the right side of the semicircle, with most of the handful of first-year students that Cassie had regrettably 
not taking the time to get to know any better than a passing hello back in the dormitory. Oh, I managed to drop everything in the hallway on the way over. Another minor disaster. Cassie responded in light tones, nodding at the other girls who looked up at her arrival, but offered no further comment beyond appropriate smiles. Like Cassie, they had each carried a portfolio with them, most of which were in far better condition than Cassie's plain black case. In all, there were about 20 students present. So I guess this first lecture is not for everyone? Cassie had been hoping to at least see all the rest of her society today. According to what she had been told, there were 54 in all, though many of those were upperclassmen. No, all of the third and fourth years met yesterday. Mr. Seltrix wanted to divide the group early on. Sarah replied with a shrug and looked as though she intended to say more, but the inset double doors along the wall they were facing parted to reveal the statuesque figure of the mistress herself. The storied Mistress Zeltrix was something of a celebrity in both academic and gallery circles. Her work had been displayed in elite galleries from the Hole to the Thaddeus Ropek Gallery to an extended tour of the Gagosian exhibit halls. Modernist to the extreme, Mistress Zeltrix rarely shied away from the controversial, which was in keeping with her participation in stage protests and flash art from the time she had first appeared in the art scene. Her style was polarizing, and while Cassie tended to side with those that disagreed with her approach, there is no doubt that the woman was an impressively creative force. Excellent. You all have your portfolios with you. I want each of you to select one piece and present it to the group. Miss Idlewood, you may begin. A slight gasp rippled through the group, as this was the last thing any of them were expecting. The gasp was followed by a rising rustle of papers and unsnapping of portfolios as those not named Idlewood frantically flipped through their sketches, Cassie among them. Ignoring the presentation, Cassie frowned into the mess of papers and sketches that had once been a well-organized display of her work. Now, it was a disaster, making finding the piece that she wanted all the more difficult. Thank you, Miss Idlewood. <laughs> I'm surprised they even admitted you into the program. Your parents surely must have paid well to pass you off as an aspiring artist. You do know that unlike the performing arts, you must have actual skill for this program. The sharp voice of the mistress stunned the remaining chatter straight out of the room. One of the first-year scholars to Cassie's right dropped the painting she had intended to show, as it was a similar still-life drawing to what Miss Idlewood had just presented. Two more students were called and dismissed with similarly harsh results, prompting the mistress to pause the proceedings as she addressed the group. Does anyone here have something other than a simplistic drawing or painting you made in middle school? Anyone? Faces all around turned to the floor as the mistress called for Sarah. Miss Dawson, perhaps you have something for me. Last night I'm told that you wore the most stunning mask. Quite the spectacle, I believe. Garnered you the designation of Queen of the Masquerade. I'm only too sorry that I missed it. Perhaps you have a sketch or two you could share with us? Cassie could feel Sarah stiffen as she was called and cringed internally with her roommate. But more so at Sarah's reply. I... I didn't create that design. No. 
An aspiring artist copied a design? The disgust was thick in the mistress's throat. Oh, oh no. A uh, friend did it for me. Sarah's reply was nearly inaudible as she glanced furtively toward Cassie, who stared back in wide-eyed horror, remembering the response the headmistress had taken all too well. That's even worse than pathetic. A woman in my society that is incapable of her own creativity. Dawson, is it? You have an older brother, I believe. Perhaps a tennis court named after your family? <laughs> Another spoiled little nit with a case of affluenza. Cassie could take it no more. I painted her makeup. I ruined the mask that she made and convinced her to let me make amends. She's very talented. She sewed up her own dress, which is beautiful. Much prettier than my design. Out of the corner of her eye, Cassie could see Sarah relax, though she couldn't tell if it was from relief at no longer being the target of the mistress's attention or because of the faint praise Sarah had tried to bestow. Ah, so now we have the truth. And you are Cassandra Cole, I believe. Zeltrix's voice was low and cutting. Cassie could only nod and reply as the tall, slender woman approached her extending an open palm expectantly. Let's see what you are going to show us. Mechanically, Cassie handed over the simple charcoal sketch she had made. It was from one of the visions in her dream of a smooth rock wall with intricate patterns and symbols, a kind of parital art or ancient pictograph. Cassie had picked it out as something that was at least different than what the students before her had offered. Taking the sketch into her hand and lifting it for further inspection, the mistress gazed at it with narrowing eyes. You should have presented a photo of your work from last night, Miss Cole. That would have been acceptable. She commented without looking back at Cassie. Rather than handing the drawing back, however, Mistress Zeltrix took it with her as she turned back to the podium and placed it there. Cassie hastily returned to her seat as the rest of the students sighed in relief, some of them looking at her and nodding appreciatively for having put the Inquisition to an end. If there is one thing that you will learn while under my tutelage, it is this. Art is magic. Make no mistake, the silly drivel you presented today is not art. I feel that perhaps only Miss Cole may ever even approach the true purpose of what art actually is. Now the looks on the faces of the students surrounding Cassie were turning to grim jealousy as the mistress positioned her against the others. Never a good place to be as a new student. Many of you do not believe in magic, I'm sure. So let me define magic for you. Magic is the force by which change is coerced. While physics and mathematics concern themselves with the manipulation of existing forces within a defined set of laws, magic is that which coerces a result that is unexpected, unnatural, but never unintended. The room grew silent as each of the students turned back to the mistress in rapt attention. Can you change a mood, evoke an emotion, spark a belief, alter a thought? This 
is magic in its simplest form. The tools that we use in the visual arts are not for expressing your deepest feelings. This word, Zeltrix emphasized disgustedly. Our skills, our tools, our purpose is to coerce the world to our design. The greatest practitioners have used their art to start wars, overthrow kingdoms, and even kill. The room suddenly felt stifling as Cassie and the others shifted uneasily in their seats. From this day forward, you will bid farewell to all of your juvenile notions of what art actually is. If any of you are afraid, if any of you feel I am wrong, you are free to leave the program. But if you stay, you will dedicate every waking moment to the singular truth. Art is magic. Art is magic. It seeps into our very souls. It is who we are. Cassie and the Spectral Shade is an original story written, scored, and narrated by Daniel Nichols and is produced by Good Ham Productions. This narrative-based audio presentation is the second story in the broader Chronicles of Eridal series, which can also be found in bound print and digital book format at major booksellers near you. All of our work at Good Ham Productions is made possible by our patrons 
the support of our listening audience, and the tremendous voice talent of our many podcasting creators and friends. Cassie Cole is voiced by the amazing J.D. Rose from Goodham Productions. Sarah Dawson and Aunt Noni are voiced by Nikki Richardson from Top of the Round. Willem Marshall IV is voiced by Storm S. Cone from Goodham Productions. Whittle Apple is voiced by Dietrich Marie Bowie. Headmistress Pearl Floquet is voiced by Rachel Finley from Goodham Productions. Ludo Van Ness is voiced by Adam Legrave from The Tall Grass Podcast. Janice Tremaine is voiced by Beth Yadden. Bentley the Bus Driver and Master Grimpen Galleon are voiced by Brad Zimmerman from The Gigantic Adventures of Jeff and Simon and Fate of Bison podcast. Jimmy and Bobby Franks are voiced by Kenneth Eccles from Podcast Reviews Reviews Podcast. Mistress Cressida McLean is voiced by Julie Miller from The Podville Podcast. Master Bale Adonis is voiced by Corbin Miller from The Podville Podcast. Mistress Cynthia Zeltrix is voiced by Haley Munoz from Goodham Productions. Molly O'Dine is voiced by Susanna Lewis from the Thornvale Podcast. Trevor Dawson is voiced by Cody Miller from Goodham Productions. Alastair Montrose and Willem Marshall III are voiced by Jordash Richardson from Top of the Round. Mistress Audrey Maud is voiced by Kate Willinga from the Ignorance Was Bliss podcast. Garrett Black and Harvey Kettle are voiced by Mike Atchley from Goodham Productions. Lanana is voiced by Brian Dowling from Goodham Productions. The Ningalix is voiced by Jolene Fresquez from Goodham Productions. The music, singing, foley, and sound effects are all original creations of our insanely talented cast and crew at Goodham Productions. <laughs>